chapter forty of peveril of the peak by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain read by dion gines salt lake city utah contentious fierce ardent and dire spring from no petty cause albion the quarrels between man and wife are proverbial but let not these honest folks think that connections of a less permanent nature are free from similar jars the frolic of the duke of buckingham and the subsequent escape of alice bridgenorth had kindled fierce dissension in Schiffinch's family when on his arrival in town he learned these two stunning events i tell you he said to his obliging helpmate who seemed but little moved by all that he could say on the subject that your damned carelessness has ruined the work of years i think it is the twentieth time you have said so replied the dame and without such frequent assurance i was quite ready to believe that a very trifling matter would overset any scheme of yours however long thought of how on earth could you have the folly to let the duke into the house when you expected the king said the irritated courtier lord chiffinch answered the lady ought not you to ask the porter rather than me that sort of question i was putting on my cap to receive his majesty with the address of a madge howlet said chiffinch and in the meanwhile you gave the cat the cream to keep indeed chiffinch said the lady these jaunts to the country do render you excessively vulgar there is a brutality about your very boots nay your muslin ruffles being somewhat soiled give to your knuckles a sort of rural rusticity as i may call it it were a good deed muttered chiffinch to make both boots and knuckles bang the folly and affectation out of thee then speaking aloud he added like a man who would fain break off an argument by extorting from his adversary a confession that he has reason on his side i am sure kate you must be sensible that our all depends on his majesty's pleasure leave that to me said she i know how to pleasure his majesty better than you can teach me do you think his majesty is booby enough to cry like a schoolboy because his sparrow has flown away his majesty has better taste i am surprised at you chiffinch she added drawing herself up who were once thought to know the points of a fine woman that you should have made such a roaring about this country wench why she has not even the country quality of being plump as a barn-door fowl but is more like a dunstable lark that one must crack bones and all if you would make a mouthful of it what signifies whence she came or where she goes there will be those behind that are much more worthy of his majesty's condescending attention even when the duchess of portsmouth 
takes the frumps you mean your neighbour mistress nelly said her worthy helpmate but kate her date is out which she has let her keep herself warm with it in worse company for the cant of a gang of strollers is not language for a prince's chamber it is no matter what i mean or whom i mean said mrs chiffinch but i tell you tom chiffinch that you will find your master quite consoled for loss of the piece of prudish puritanism that you would need saddle him with as if the good man were not plagued enough with them in parliament but you must forsooth bring them into his very bedchamber well kate said chiffinch if a man were to speak all the sense of the seven wise masters a woman would find nonsense enough to overwhelm him with so i shall say no more but that i would to heaven i may find the king in no worse humour than you describe him i am commanded to attend him down the river to the tower to-day where he is to make some survey of arms and stores they are clever fellows who contrive to keep rowley from engaging in business for by my word he has a turn for it i warrant you said chiffinch the female nodding but rather to her own figure reflected from a mirror than to her politic husband i warrant you we will find means of occupying him that will sufficiently fill up his time on my honour kate said the male chiffinch i find you strangely altered and to speak truth grown most extremely opinionative i shall be happy if you have good reason for your confidence the dame smiled superciliously but deigned no other answer unless this were one i shall order a boat to go upon the thames to-day with the royal party take care what you do kate there are none dare presume so far but women of the first rank duchess of bolton of buckingham of who cares for a list of names why may not i be as forward as the greatest be among your string of them nay faith thou mayest match the greatest bee in court already answered chiffinch so even take thy own course of it but do not let chaubert forget to get some collation ready and a super a petit couvert in case it should be commanded for the evening ah there your boasted knowledge of court matters begins and ends chiffinch chaubert and company dissolve that partnership and you break tom chiffinch for a courtier amen kate replied chiffinch and let me tell you it is as safe to rely on another person's fingers as on our own wit but i must give orders for the water if you will take the pinnace there are the cloth of gold cushions in the chapel may serve to cover the benches for the day they are never wanted where they lie so you may make free with them too 
madame chiffinch accordingly mingled with the flotilla which attended the king on his voyage down the thames amongst whom was the queen attended by some of the principal ladies of the court the little plump cleopatra dressed to as much advantage as her taste could devise and seated upon her embroidered cushions like venus in her shell neglected nothing that effrontery and minaudery could perform to draw upon herself some portion of the king's observation but charles was not in the vein and did not even pay her the slightest passing attention of any kind until her boatman having ventured to approach nearer to the queen's barge than etiquette permitted received a peremptory order to back their oars and fall out of the royal procession madame chiffinch cried for spite and transgressed solomon's warning by cursing the king in her heart but had no better course than to return to westminster and direct chaubert's preparations for the evening in the meantime the royal barge paused at the tower and accompanied by a laughing train of ladies and of courtiers the gay monarch made the echoes of the old prison towers ring with the unwonted sounds of mirth and revelry as they ascended from the riverside to the centre of the building where the fine old keep of william the conqueror called the white tower predominates over the exterior defences heaven only knows how many gallant jests good or bad were run on the comparison of his majesty's state prison to that of cupid and what killing similes were drawn between the ladies eyes and the guns of the fortress which spoken with a fashionable conge and listened to with a smile from a fair lady formed the fine conversations of the day this gay swarm of flutterers did not however attend close on the king's person though they had accompanied him upon his party on the river charles who often formed manly and sensible resolutions though he was too easily diverted from them by indolence or pleasure had some desire to make himself personally acquainted with the state of the military stores arms etc of which the tower was then as now the magazine and although he had brought with him the usual number of his courtiers only three or four attended him on the scrutiny which he intended whilst therefore the rest of the train amused themselves as they might in other parts of the tower the king accompanied by the dukes of buckingham ormond and one or two others walked through the well-known hall in which is preserved the most splendid magazine of arms in the world and which though far from exhibiting its present extraordinary state of perfection was even then an arsenal worthy of the great nation to which it belonged the duke of ormond well known for his services during the civil war was as we have elsewhere noticed at present rather on cold terms with his sovereign who nevertheless asked his advice on many occasions and who required it on the present amongst others when it was not a little feared that the parliament 
in their zeal for the protestant religion might desire to take the magazines of arms and ammunition under their own exclusive orders while charles sadly hinted at such a termination of the popular jealousies of the period and discussed with ormond the means of resisting or evading it buckingham falling a little behind amused himself with ridiculing the antiquated appearance and embarrassed demeanour of the old warder who attended on the occasion and who chanced to be the very same who escorted julian peveril to his present place of confinement the duke prosecuted his raillery with the greater activity that he found the old man though restrained by the place and presence was rather upon the whole testy and disposed to afford what sportsmen call play to his persecutor the various pieces of ancient armour with which the wall was covered afforded the principal source of the duke's wit as he insisted upon knowing from the old man who he said could best remember matters from the days of king arthur downwards at the least the history of the different warlike weapons and anecdotes of the battles in which they had been wielded the old man obviously suffered when he was obliged by repeated questions to tell the legends often sufficiently absurd which the tradition of the place had assigned to particular relics far from flourishing his partisan and augmenting the emphasis of his voice as was and is the prevailing fashion of these warlike ciceroni it was scarcely possible to extort from him a single word concerning those topics on which their information is usually overflowing do you know my friend said the duke to him at last i begin to change my mind respecting you i suppose you must have served as a yeoman of the guard since bluff king henry's time and expected to hear something from you about the field of the cloth of gold and i thought of asking you the colour of anne bullen's breast-knot which cost the pope three kingdoms but i am afraid you are but a novice in such recollections of love and chivalry art sure thou didst not creep into thy warlike office from some dark shop in tower hamlets and that thou hast not converted an unlawful measuring-yard into that glorious halberd i warrant thou canst not even tell you whom this piece of antique panoply pertained to the duke pointed at random to a cuirass which hung amongst others but was rather remarkable from being better cleansed i should know that piece of iron said the warder bluntly yet with some change in his voice for i have known a man within side of it who would not have endured half the impertinence i have heard spoken to-day the tone of the old man as well as the words attracted the attention of charles and the duke of ormond who were only two steps before the speaker they both stopped and turned round the former saying at the same time how now sirrah what answers are these what man do you speak of of one who is none now said the warder whatever he may have been 
the old man surely speaks of himself said the duke of ormond closely examining the countenance of the warder which he in vain endeavoured to turn away i am sure i remember these features are you not my old friend major colby i wish your grace's memory had been less accurate said the old man colouring deeply and fixing his eyes on the ground the king was greatly shocked good god he said the gallant major colby who joined with us his four sons and a hundred and fifty men at warrington and is this all we could do for an old worcestershire friend the tears rushed thick into the old man's eyes as he said in broken accents never mind me sire i am well enough here a worn-out soldier rusting among old armour where one old cavalier is better there are twenty worse i am sorry your majesty should know anything of it since it grieves you with that kindness which was a redeeming point of his character charles while the old man was speaking took the partisan from him with his own hand and put it into that of buckingham saying what colby's hand has borne can disgrace neither yours nor mine and you owe him this atonement time has been with him that for less provocation he would have laid it about your ears the duke bowed deeply but coloured with resentment and took an immediate opportunity to place the weapon carelessly against a pile of arms the king did not observe a contemptuous motion which perhaps would not have pleased him being at the moment occupied with the veteran whom he exhorted to lean upon him as he conveyed him to a seat permitting no other person to assist him rest there he said my brave old friend and charles stuart must be poor indeed if you wear that dress an hour longer you look very pale my good colby to have had so much colour a few minutes since be not vexed at what buckingham says no one minds his folly you look worse and worse come come you are too much hurried by this meeting sit still do not rise do not attempt to kneel i command you to repose yourself till i have made the round of these apartments the old cavalier stooped his head in token of acquiescence in the command of his sovereign but he raised it not again the tumultuous agitation of the moment had been too much for spirits which had been long in a state of depression and health which was much decayed when the king and his attendants after half an hour's absence returned to the spot where they had left the veteran they found him dead and already cold in the attitude of one who has fallen easily asleep the king was dreadfully shocked and it was with a low and faltering voice that he directed the body in due time to be honourably buried in the chapel of the tower he was then silent until he attained the steps in front of the arsenal where the party in attendance upon his person began to assemble at his approach along with some other persons of respectable appearance whom curiosity 
had attracted this is dreadful said the king we must find some means of relieving the distresses and rewarding the fidelity of our suffering followers or posterity will cry fie upon our memory your majesty has had often such plans agitated in your council said buckingham true george said the king i can safely say it is not my fault i have thought of it for years it cannot be too well considered said buckingham besides every year makes the task of relief easier true said the duke of ormond by diminishing the number of sufferers here is poor old colby will no longer be a burden to the crown you are too severe my lord of ormond said the king and should respect the feelings you trespass on you cannot suppose that we would have permitted this poor man to hold such a situation had we known of the circumstances for god's sake then sire said the duke of ormond turn your eyes which have just rested on the corpse of one old friend upon the distresses of others here is the valiant old sir geoffrey peveril of the peak who fought through the whole war wherever blows were going and was the last man i believe in england who laid down his arms here is his son of whom i have the highest accounts as a gallant of spirit accomplishments and courage here is the unfortunate house of derby for pity's sake interfere in behalf of these victims whom the folds of this hydra plot have entangled in order to crush them to death rebuke the fiends that are seeking to devour their lives and disappoint the harpies that are gaping for their property this very day seven night the unfortunate family father and son are to be brought upon trial for crimes of which they are as guiltless i boldly pronounce as any who stand in this presence for god's sake sire let us hope that should the prejudices of the people condemn them as it has done others you will at last step in between the blood-hunters and their prey the king looked as he really was exceedingly perplexed buckingham between whom and ormond there existed a constant and almost mortal quarrel interfered to effect a diversion in charles's favour your majesty's royal benevolence he said needs never want exercise while the duke of ormond is near your person he has his sleeve cut in the old and ample fashion that he may always have store of ruined cavaliers stored in it to produce at demand rare old raw-boned boys with malmsey noses bald heads spindle shanks and merciless histories of edgehill and naseby my sleeve is i dare say of an antique cut said ormond looking full at the duke but i pin neither bravos nor ruffians upon it my lord of buckingham as i see fastened to coats of the new mode that is a little too sharp for our presence my lord said the king not if i make my words good said ormond my lord of buckingham will you name the man you spoke to as you left the boat 
i spoke to no one said the duke hastily nay i mistake i remember a fellow whispered in my ear that one who i thought had left london was still lingering in town a person whom i had business with was yon the messenger said ormond singling out from the crowd who stood in the courtyard a tall dark-looking man muffled in a large cloak wearing a broad shadowy black beaver hat with a long sword of the spanish fashion the very colonel in short whom buckingham had dispatched in quest of christian with the intention of detaining him in the country when buckingham's eyes had followed the direction of ormond's finger he could not help blushing so deeply as to attract the king's attention what new frolic is this george he said gentlemen bring that fellow forward on my life a truculent-looking caitiff hark ye my friend who are you if an honest man nature has forgot to label it upon your countenance does none here know him with every symptom of a knave complete if he be honest he's a devilish cheat he is well known to many sire replied ormond and that he walks in this area with his neck safe and his limbs unshackled is an instance amongst many that we live under the sway of the most merciful prince of europe odds fish who is the man my lord duke said the king your grace talks mysteries buckingham blushes and the rogue himself is dumb that honest gentleman please your majesty replied the duke of ormond whose modesty makes him mute though it cannot make him blush is the notorious colonel blood as he calls himself whose attempt to possess himself of your majesty's royal crown took place at no very distant date in this very tower of london that exploit is not easily forgotten said the king but that the fellow lives shows your grace's clemency as well as mine i cannot deny that i was in his hands sire said ormond and had certainly been murdered by him had he chosen to take my life on the spot instead of destining me i thank him for the honour to be hanged at tyburn i had certainly been sped if he had thought me worth knife or pistol or anything short of the cord look at him sire if the rascal dared he would say at this moment like caliban in the play ho ho i would i had done it why odds fish answered the king he hath a villainous sneer my lord which seems to say as much but my lord duke we have pardoned him and so has your grace it would ill have become me said the duke of ormond to have been severe in prosecuting an attempt on my poor life when your majesty was pleased to remit his more outrageous and insolent attempt upon your royal crown but i must conceive it as a piece of supreme insolence on the part of this bloodthirsty bully by whomsoever he may be now backed to appear in the tower which was the theatre of one of his villainies or before me who was well nigh the victim of another it shall be amended in future said the king 
hark ye sirrah blood if you again presume to thrust yourself in the way you have done but now i will have the hangman's knife and your knavish ears made acquainted blood bowed and with a coolness of impudence which did his nerves great honour he said he had only come to the tower accidentally to communicate with a particular friend on business of importance my lord duke of buckingham he said knew he had no other intentions get you gone you scoundrelly cut-throat said the duke as much impatient of colonel blood's claim of acquaintance as a town rake of the low and blackguard companions of his midnight rambles when they accost him in daylight amidst better company if you dare to quote my name again i will have you thrown into the thames blood thus repulsed turned round with the most insolent composure and walked away down from the parade all men looking at him as at some strange and monstrous prodigy so much was he renowned for daring and desperate villainy some even followed him to have a better survey of the notorious colonel blood like the smaller tribe of birds which keep fluttering round an owl when he appears in the light of the sun but as in the latter case these thoughtless flutterers are careful to keep out of the reach of the beak and claws of the bird of minerva so none of those who followed and gazed on blood as something ominous cared to bandy looks with him or to endure and return the lowering and deadly glances which he shot from time to time on those who pressed nearest to him he stalked on in this manner like a daunted yet sullen wolf afraid to stop yet unwilling to fly until he reached the traitor's gate and getting on board a sculler which waited for him he disappeared from their eyes charles would fain have obliterated all recollection of his appearance by the observation it were a shame that such a reprobate scoundrel should be the subject of discord between two noblemen of distinction and he recommended to the dukes of buckingham and ormond to join hands and forget a misunderstanding which rose on so unworthy a subject buckingham answered carelessly that the duke of ormond's honoured white hairs were a sufficient apology for his making the first overtures to a reconciliation and he held out his hand accordingly but ormond only bowed in return and said the king had no cause to expect that the court would be disturbed by his personal resentments since time would not yield him back twenty years nor the grave restore his gallant son ossory as to the ruffian who had intruded himself there he was obliged to him since by showing that his majesty's clemency extended even to the very worst of criminals he strengthened his hopes of obtaining the king's favour for such of his innocent friends as were now in prison and in danger from the odious charges brought against them on the score of the popish plot the king made no other answer to this insinuation 
than by directing that the company should embark for their return to whitehall and thus took leave of the officers of the tower who were in attendance with one of those well-turned compliments to their discharge of duty which no man knew better how to express and issued at the same time strict and anxious orders for protection and defence of the important fortress confided to them and all which it contained before he parted with ormond on their arrival at whitehall he turned round to him as one who has made up his resolution and said be satisfied my lord duke our friend's case shall be looked to in the same evening the attorney-general and north lord chief justice of the common pleas had orders with all secrecy to meet his majesty that evening on especial matters of state at the apartments of chiffinch the centre of all affairs whether of gallantry or business End of chapter forty